Martin Short and family set sail on the high seas. But it's not quite a three-hour tour thanks to a certain sea captain. Coming up next on Out of Touchstone. Island music right there from the great Bob Marley and the Whalers with the song Stir It Up. Welcome to Out of Touch, John. My name is Mike DeKalb. On the other end of the Skype line is my co-host, Chad Smart. Chad, how are you doing? I am doing quite well. You know, we're, we're going to be talking about a, an island cruise. I was out in the sun earlier working on my tan or burn as it more more appropriately up. Poe, I guess, but uh, I was going to say, I, I was kind of disappointed with your musical selection. I, I figured you would go with Bob Marley, but I was really hoping you would go with T-Ride and the song Zombies from Hell, which T-Ride also, I believe, has a song on the Encino Man soundtrack, so uh, it's a band that I, well, I did not know anything about, but the fact that they came up in two movies on back-to-back episodes. Well, honestly, I think part of the reason that I chose Bob Marley is, and I'm sure I've spoken to you about this, but Back in the day when I had a CD player in my car, I used to always tell people in Los Angeles, it's always, you should always have a Bob Marley CD in your car because if you get stuck in really bad traffic, you put that on and you can't really get stressed out. And I feel like, as we're going to get into, Captain Ron was a movie that I was had, had high, high, mm. high hopes for and I was a little disappointed with, but the Bob Marley music kind of cooled me down a little bit. I wasn't so stressed <laughs> out. And so I'm like, I kinda, I'm kind of glad that they used that music, but... Uh, yeah, we're wrapping up 1992 on this last episode. I, I found a real common theme to tie the Touchstone movies in to the other films that we're going to talk about that Disney also produced. And it's this idea of what I'm calling, calling the diamond in the rough. You know, the idea of a character who has kind of rough around the edges, has some good points, but also has kind of a shady past. And so we'll leave that off with the Touchstone movie, as I just mentioned. It was released on September 18th of 1992, and it's called Captain Ron. From Touchstone Pictures, Martin Harvey thought he planned the perfect sailing vacation. But what he got was... Captain Ron! Are you kidding? Now Martin's boat, his wife... Captain Ron, may I have the camera, please? And his kids... You want a beer, you get your own beer. ...are under Captain Ron's spell. And it's driving Martin crazy. Kurt Russell. Martin Short. <laughs> Captain Ron. Hang on, boss. Ouch! Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, September 18th. It was directed by Tom Eberhardt, who returns to Touchstone. This, this is his first feature since 1989's Gross Anatomy. In the meantime, he had directed the pilot episode of Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Chad, you said you never watched that show? Uh, not when it was on. We did not have Fox at the time. I've seen episodes post, you know, the the run of the show. But I never I've, – I've always wanted to sit down and watch the entire series. But I get like one or two episodes in and then I just – my ADD kicks in and I move on to something else. Oh, yeah. I used to watch it every week. Yeah, it was a good show on Fox. Uh, Tom Eberhardt had also written two two films since he had done Gross Anatomy, uh, co-writing both films. 1991, he did All I Want for Christmas. And 1992, he did the Disney film, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Uh, the story credit for the film goes to John Dwyer, who also shares the screenplay credit with Tom Eberhardt. This was his first feature film credit. I, I read that he originally had written the film as an edgy adult comedy, but Disney wanted it to be a family film instead. And so they would ultimately shift it to Touchstone because of some of the more adult subject matter. Um, the star of the film, the, the titular character, Cap, uh, Captain Ron, is played by Kurt Russell. You know, He had started acting as a kid in the early 60s. Lots of TV roles. I, I did see that he appeared on Gilligan's Island when he was 13 years old. Uh, he played like a jungle boy. And so if you go on IMDb, there's pictures of it. It looks hilarious. It's, it's Kurt Russell as a 13-year-old. Um, he had then signed a 10-year contract with Disney and starred in a series of films for the studio in, in the 1970s, including movies like The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes, 
the Barefoot Executive. Now you see him, now you don't. I know a lot of these are on Disney+. Plus. Chad, have you watched any of those Kurt Russell movies from the 70s? I think I started watching The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes, but I didn't finish it. Um, yeah, and I, I know uh, Kurt Russell had that Disney career, but no, I've never actually watched many of those films. Yeah, and then after that, I read he also had a short-lived minor league mm-hmm. baseball career in the 1970s before an injury forced him back into acting. Um, his more adult roles include several collaborations with John Carpenter, you know, Escape from New York, Thing, Big Trouble, Little China, as well as the 1980s comedies such as Used Cars and Overboard. He also did some great action films like Tequila Sunrise, Tango and Cash, and even Backdraft. The most recent film he did before Captain Ron was Unlawful Entry, the thriller that was released in June of 1992. Uh, I did see that this was his first time working for Disney since 1981 when he had provided the voice of Copper, and the Fox and the Hound. I, I've never seen that one as well. I think oh, you said you, you like that one a lot. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you know who the other, well, I guess we'll say three voices, because there are two kids and then the two adult voices of the main characters. Is it Mickey Rooney one of the voices? Mickey Rooney is the other. No. He, he plays adult Todd. So do you know who the okay. two, two and child... And the Coog is in there. The Coog is... The I Coog, believe... Right? Is yeah. One of them? I believe he is young Todd, and then uh, Corey Feldman is young Cooper. That's right. That's right. Corey Feldman, Keith Coogan. Okay. Yeah, yeah I may have to watch that. Um, yeah, it's interesting for, for a character, or I should, should say for an actor that had done all this work for Disney in the 70s, Captain Ron is his only touchstone film that he makes throughout the entire run of that particular banner. Mm-hmm. Um, and he only makes one picture for Hollywood for Hollywood pictures, and it comes out in 1993. Like He comes back and makes a few Disney films in the 2000s, like Miracle, for example. But I don't know. I just found it surprising. You have a 10-year contract with the studio, then all of a sudden they're like, we're going to make adult live-action movies, and they don't call Kurt Russell. Well, you know, they weren't hiring uh, John Carpenter to direct any Disney films, so maybe that's why (laughs) they didn't work. You know, Kurt Russell didn't do any Disney films in that time span. Well, I did see something when I was doing the the research. I couldn't couldn't confirm it, so I didn't want to bring it up, but... Supposedly, there was a rumor that John Carpenter may have been connected to Captain Ron, hmm. like when Kurt Russell got the job. And he said he would. And supposedly, John Carpenter said he would have done it just for the opportunity to go to the Caribbean and film a movie. But I couldn't I mean, I couldn't find where that come from. Maybe it was a random interview hmm. or something. But unfortunately, Disney did go back to the Martin Shortwell and he comes back after making this is his third touchstone film, I should say, uh, after 1989's Three Fugitives and it, as well as his most recent film role, which was as Frank, the wedding planner in 1991's Father of the Bride. Uh, I did see that, that when the script was written, Chevy Chase was the actor that they had in mind for the Martin Short role. Um, I think that might have worked. I could see him kind of going overboard, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then playing uh, playing Martin Short's wife in the film is Mary Kay Place. Uh, she'd won an Emmy for her work on the TV show Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, back in 1977. And then she went on to star in the spinoff series Forever Fernwood. Her feature film work in the 1980s includes uh, movies like Private Benjamin and also The Big Chill. I think did you said you watched that one recently or no? I watched it right after Captain Ron. Yeah. Without knowing that she was in both films. So um, weird yeah, double feature a, coincidence. <laughs> that's a good movie. It holds up pretty well. Yeah. yeah. And I, I saw that Mary Kay Place had also appeared in a handful of TV movies, including the 1986 Wonderful World of Disney film that was entitled The Girl Who Spelled Freedom about a girl in a spelling bee. So, um Chad, I always like to look at the supporting cast. Mainly, I'm just going to focus on the, the two children who are mm-hmm. both making their on-screen debut. That's Meadow Sisto and Benjamin Salisbury. Meadow Sisto is the, the older sister of the actor Jeremy Sisto. And then Benjamin Salisbury. You know, I'm watching this movie, Chad, and I see this kid, and I'm like, I know who that guy mm-hmm. is. I've seen this face. Yep. I could not place him. And then as soon as I looked him up on IMDb, it was like, oh, of course. Chad, do you know where he comes from? Uh, I I had the same reaction that you had. And, yeah, looking it up, I'm like, oh, yes, the nanny. He's the he's the, the, the son on the nanny, that uh, yeah. Fran Drescher. My, I used to watch that show. My, my dad was a huge fan. And so, yeah, I was like, that's right. He's the kid from the nanny. Um, for some reason, I don't know why, legendary singer Paul Anka is in this film as well, playing a yacht broker. I re- he, this was his first film role since 1962, the war epic The Longest Day. So I'm like, mm. yeah, why is he in this movie? There's a lot of questions we have about this movie. Did I, you look up know. to see what he's been in since? Paul Anko? I mean, yeah. I know he's been in the Gilmore Girls a couple times. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, Lorelai named the dog Paul Anko, right? Yeah, I believe that's that true. Show yeah. and 
there's an episode where she has like a dream and it's Paul Anka, the dog and the, and the singer in the episode together. Yeah. He's still around. I'm surprised he's not just doing one-off shows and stuff. But all right, well, let's get right to the movie. We always like to break it down into questions, look at performances and also the script as well. We'll start right with the performances. Chad, I'll ask you, I thought, you know, Kurt Russell makes this movie, but at the same time, I can't really decide if I like the casting of (laughs) Kurt Russell or not. So go ahead, Chad. What did you think of Kurt Russell as Captain Ron? Well, I think Kurt Russell plays Captain Ron really well. You know, it's, I think this role is kind of tailor-suited to 1980s and early 90s Kurt Russell. And, you know, I thinking about it, and especially after, you know, thinking about the John Carpenter connection, I mean, this is pretty much, I think Jack Burton, once he gets done driving the, the Pork Chop Express, he's going to probably retire down to the, to the Keys and, you know, take people out on boats. So I could see Kurt Russell actually being Captain Ron. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I really thought he was, like you said, he was kind of building off those characters that he'd created with John Carpenter. And to me, it was kind of a slow burn. Like, I did, was, didn't really enjoy the film as a whole. Mm-hmm. and But yet, I feel like after it was over, and after I started doing research and thinking more about the movie and talking to other people who liked it, you know, it was like, hey, you know what, he was pretty good in the movie. Like, I mean, you, you got to give him credit for just creating that character and owning it. You know, I, I read an interview with him where he had said that supposedly in the middle of filming, the director pulled him aside and told him that Disney wanted to him. Disney wanted to change the character, kind of tone down his hair and his wardrobe. And, and so Kurt Russell just told him, why don't you go get Dennis Quaid instead? You know, and I think the, the, the great quote I have here that Kurt Russell said is, quote, they put their bet on this racehorse and this racehorse sees it this way, end quote. Hmm. So I'm like, that sounds just like Kurt Russell. <laughs> I can totally see. And then supposedly, you know, Disney, he told them to watch the dailies and see if, see what they thought. And then they, they end up liking it so much that they changed the title. It was originally called something else. And they changed it to Captain Ron after much more of the footage had come in. Yeah. So and I believe yeah, I give him credit there. Yeah. And I believe that I read that uh, a lot of the wardrobe came from Kurt Russell's own closet. Supposedly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that, yeah, again, that's interesting. At least I will say that, like I said, I give him credit. I like that character. Mm-hmm. However, the, the next question I was going to ask you is that this movie does remind me a lot of What About Bob? Like, it's it's crazy how much it does remind me of that film. You know, especially you have a family that's kind of enabling the actions of a loathsome type character. But unfortunately, I think this, I, I like What About Bob a little bit better, but I like the Captain Ron character a little bit better than I like anybody <laughs> in What About Bob. And so, you know, Martin Short plays kind of the straight man character. But I was going to ask you, like, is, is he so, is he too neurotic? Because I'm, He's clearly channeling the the Richard Dreyfus character, but I just thought he was kind of cranking it up a notch. I, I think you're you're hitting on something with the, that comparison because I, yeah, I can see you know this is what about Bob Part Two, Caribbean Vacation, I guess. But yeah. uh, you know, I I don't find I didn't find Ron as uh, to be as egregious as as Bob was, and what about Bob? I, I think he. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just a guy used to his own way. And and so for this family, you know, the, from the city who's not used to it, they're kind of taken in by him. But but the Martin Short character was a little too, you know, he I mean, from the whole point of when they find out that he his his father has left him this boat and he hasn't seen the boat in years. And he's like, oh, no, it's going to be great. We love this boat. It, like Martin Short just seems to be too much, I guess, living in the past. Of, of the memory of what he has of the boat without coming into the reality of what today is. And, and I think he's trying to capture that youth from, uh, you know, being in the rat race the rest of the time. So I can mm. see where he's, he's a little too kind of stuck in the mud, but I, yeah, I, I, again, very definite comparison to what about Bob, just with the slight twerks a little bit tweaks twerks. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very neurotic, like you said. Yeah. Play is supposed to be this high-strung character. And like I said, there's a scene in particular where, you know, they've been, they've, their boat has been stolen by pirates. They're set adrift at sea. And then they come into land. And they're like, oh, my God, we're in, we're in land. But then as soon as they discover that it's Cuba, you know, Martin Short goes off the hook. Where is this? Honey, I don't care where uh, it is. It's dry land. Yeah! Okay, no, first things first. Okay. Just calm down. Stay here. I'm going to find out exactly where we are. Okay? All right. Now... Yeah. 
in five and a half hours, the store is open. We can get some clean, dry clothes. So, in the meantime, I want everyone <laughs> to dry off as best they can. Back to the raft! Back to the raft! What? Go, get in the raft! Go, just get in, get in, honey, get in. Back to the raft. Would you let's go? Martin, what is it? Puerto de Aguadilla. Prohibido el paso. Prohibit the pass. Look, let's just go to the most important part of the sign, shall we? Cuba. We're in Cuba? Wouldn't you just know it? So bad about Cuba. Yeah, I agree with Caroline. It's land. <laughs> yeah. You're now agreeing with someone whose worldview is based on I Love Lucy reruns. The world's changed a lot since Ricky Ricardo. Trust me. Honey, they did the Today Show in Cuba. Oh, well, then let's just get some cigars and relax. And as I alluded earlier, I think it was weird seeing Martin Short playing like the straight man character. And I know, Chad, you're the one that looks at all the reviews, but everything I read was that a lot of the criticism toward this film is that Martin Short was not the, the Captain Ron character. And, and, you know, and I think you would ask me off the air, would this film have been better if the roles had been reversed, if Kurt Russell was the straight-laced character and Martin Short was the neurotic one? You know, I feel like Martin Short would be a great pest, but I can't see him as that sort of ladies' man like Captain Ron. What do you think? I'm with you. I think Kurt Russell is is well casted in this role. I think Martin Short playing the straight man goes against type, which is probably what they wanted. So I think if you'd had, you know, more of a Richard Dreyfuss type actor in that role to 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 be the straight man to Kurt Russell, whereas I think with Martin Short, you're expecting comedy to come every so often. And I mean, this movie is we'll get into it in our reviews, but it's. Like I said, it, it did not meet a trope that it didn't like, and you can tell where everything is going. I just think Martin Short was too, probably too comedic in nature for an audience to really buy into the character. Well, he's he's full on Marty, right? Like I mean, <laughs> yeah. he's not, but he's not full on Marty in this. Like like you like we said, what what about Chevy Chase, Chad? What about Steve Martin? People mm. that are a little bit more dry, or you know what? What about Bill Murray? Would that have been too <laughs> weird? When he, you're used to him playing the annoying character. Yeah. Would he have been the the one who's being tormented? Hmm. That's an interesting choice. I, yeah, I don't think I could buy Bill Murray, but you know what? I think Bill Murray can make me believe. So. Yeah, maybe. I feel like Steve yeah. Martin has made a career out of playing that character, though. And mm-hmm. I think he's going to play it in a, a few more Disney films we've got coming up, like House Guest or yeah. Bringing Down the House or, you know, anything with House in it. I think there's <laughs> another father of the bride. Like, that he's played that way too many times. Yeah. That's why they didn't just bring him back to play this. I, I'm waiting for his turn as Reverend Run in Run's House. <laughs> there you go and like you said chad i think one of the questions that uh, that you emailed me about also was did they use was every trope possible yeah. like i you know i felt like every single predicament or comic moment in the film you could see it coming because yeah. i mean it was just a little too obvious it was like oh look belt sander on the deck i'm like okay that's gonna probably get flown off oh they're fixing an engine okay someone's gonna get oil in their face oh you know there's the weather's fine oh now it's gonna be bad you know there's that there's that scene where they're, where they're like, when he's talking about, I got these guns because there's pirates in the Caribbean. And of course, he has to say, there are no pirates in the Caribbean. And you're like, oh, look, pirates in the Caribbean. Like, it just, it's, it was a little bit too forced, I guess, for lack of a better word, I would say, right? I mean, at a certain point, you know, we always talk about on this show, like, are, is this movie copying tropes or did this movie create them? So you can't give that, you can't fault the filmmakers for doing, this is 30 years ago, right? But I also True. feel like, the same time these 80s movies were already doing these things and we saw them coming back then too oh i think this you know if you go back to the 30s and 40s you'd probably see the same thing and you know (laughs) to to steal even more tropes i'm pretty sure when i was looking up reviews i saw that uh stevie wonder went to this movie at the premiere and it came out and they asked him about it he's like i saw everything coming so ooh, ooh, yeah we haven't had the crickets in a while yeah but no i'm with you it's just send them back it's just this movie, yeah, you know, as soon as the opening credits are over with, you know what you're in for. And that's, not, yeah. you know, not saying that like it's a bad thing, just, you know, it, this is a pure check your brain at the door type movie. Just relax and have fun with it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like I said, it's just, it, you're just going to enjoy it for Kurt Russell because the script yeah. itself, like I said, the scenes, I thought the scenes didn't really link the film together very well. I thought the plot went into motion way too fast. Like, you know, you didn't really. I mean, I know you're supposed to enjoy the film with the family being out on the boat, but it's like I wanted to get a little bit more feel for the family and their home life before they leave. You know, mm. you don't even really get to know the kids until they're 
on the boat. Like it just, it seemed weird. Like it was like, we're going to show you, you, do you even see his job? You, like at least with uh, Richard Dreyfuss, the one about Bob, you see him in the office, you yeah. see he has to contend with Bill Murray and you, you kind of get an idea of what his working life is like. Whereas Martin Short, what, you see him in an elevator, right? Is that yeah. it? Somebody sneezes in his coffee? Yeah, well, and, he works in an office, does. and he works in a you know a, a skyscraper in New York. That's all you need to know. Mm, yeah, I guess, and I, that's why I think, and we'll get into this when we talk about the box office. But I really think that this movie was aimed at kids, even though the adults are the main characters. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, let's just get them down to the island. Doesn't care what they're doing in the big city. Let's just come up with these wacky predicaments. It doesn't really care. So, and I wonder if that's why. Maybe that's why it wasn't as successful in the long run. But yeah. I mean. Did you like it from that regard, or did you just, like you said, you just appreciated it for what it was, right? I appreciate it for what it was. But going on, on your comment about aimed at kids, but probably being made for adults, and we talked about earlier how this was kind of toned down by Disney. I was kind of surprised, you know, there's a, a shower scene that you, oh, yeah. you see a little bit more than you probably are expecting to see in a Disney production. Um, but, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not full on, you know, 80s teen comedy shower scene but it's still sure. I, I was just watching going like okay do we need to see that even as little as we saw it like do we need to see that much like and i think that goes back into you know who was this movie being targeted towards yeah at least with what about bob you know that like i could see kids liking it but i could right. see that it was aimed, aimed towards adults and adults yeah. went to see it whereas this one was kind of a mixed bag right like you said it's the kids are they're in it. They're not as prominently featured, no. but yet it seems like all the shenanigans and the and the comedic setups are really more aimed to a lower brow kind of sense of humor with kids. But yeah, and the kids, uh, the children are one note characters. You know, the teenage daughter is the wants to go out and party all the time and meet up with boys, and the boy is, you know, the nerdy kid who is just kind of there. Well, yeah, that's, I think I had that in my notes was. Like, why did the daughter agree to go on the trip? Mm-hmm. Because, like, you see her at the beginning. She's got, she got this boyfriend. She gets she, apparently the guy proposes to her, yeah. and it's just this sort of smash cut uh, joke where it's just like, okay, we got to get her out of here and get her on the boat. Like, I feel like in any other movie there would have been some sort of a conversation scene yeah. where you, they got to tell the daughter, hey, we're going on this island trip, and she's like, what? I don't want to go. But it's just nope. This cuts right to the boat, and all she does is just complain when she's down there. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, speaking of complaining, I'm curious, Chad, you like to dig up the reviews from the prominent critics. What did they have to say back in 1992 about Captain Ron? Well, digging is the right word. Prominent is not. Uh, This one was a hard one to get to find, uh, you know, reviewers that that have name value. So uh, these three people, they were giving them their 15 seconds of fame on this uh, on this podcast. So first we have Peter Stack from the San Francisco Chronicle. He says, it's going to be easy for some to dismiss the new Touchstone Pictures comedy Captain Ron as a leaky boatload of predictable gags. But it's what you can't predict that keeps this stupidly amusing seafaring tale afloat, making it surprisingly fun. I don't know what I didn't predict in this film, so (laughs) hats off to you, Peter Stack. Uh, It's an unsolved mystery. (laughs) <laughs> nice oh. uh, Jackie Potts for the Miami Miami Herald says Captain Ron is tropical and picturesque but like a scenic island postcard it has little scope or depth fair enough and then Hollis Chicana from the Austin Chronicle says a terrific cast good pacing and some smart funny dialogue bring an occasional fresh breeze to what is essentially a stale formula comedy mm. yeah Okay, well, that's what they thought. Chad, what did you think on a scale of 1 to 10? How would you, where do you come down on Captain Ron? You know, I, I'm giving this a 5, which is my middle of the road. Didn't hate it, didn't like it. It's just, it's, it's a movie that, uh, again, you know what you're getting into. It plays all the notes perfectly, but there's nothing. It's a rice cake of a movie. It will, fill, you know, fill me up for 90 minutes, 15 minutes after watching it. I want something else, and I can just say that Captain Ron... I guess you could say it came up a little short. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and that joke was about as lame, <laughs> lame as all the other jokes in the movie, in my opinion. Yeah, because it, it was just, just dumb joke after dumb joke. Yep. Very annoying characters. I thought Kurt Russell's performance, and his charisma especially, was a saving grace. But we talk about it on this show, there's a reason we 
think about it for a few days before we record mm-hmm. the podcast. Because as soon as the movie was over, I was like, this is like a two. Mm-hmm. I was so annoyed by it. But then the more I thought about it, I read into it some more. I was like, you know, Kurt Russell was kind of makes it. I, I bump it up to three because Ooh. of Kurt Russell. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me throw this at you because I was going to mention this and completely forgot. I think, you know, you and I have had discussions off air, several of them, about movies that when you see it as a kid, the nostalgia factor when watching it later, realizing like, yeah. oh, this may not be that great of a film, but because you have that memory tied to it. I think had I seen Captain Ron 30 years ago, I probably would have enjoyed it and then been able to look back on it kind of like the, like Overboard, which uh, everyone, I, I know several people who will put that in their top 10 list of, of movies and they just watch it whenever it's on because of the memories they have tied to it. But yeah, so I think okay. this one, without having any preconceived uh, knowledge of Captain Ron, watching it 30 years later, it doesn't hold up as a film. Whereas if I watched it, it, you know, if I had that 30-year memory gap, then um, I think I probably would rate this a little bit higher. But I don't know. That's, just, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the same way, just like with What About Bob. Like, yeah. if I would have seen – those are two movies that almost everybody that I know that's on our age loves it. Yeah. The people who do like it, they like it because they saw it back then. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if I would have liked it as well. I mean, I wouldn't have been a kid. I mean, we, we, would, right. we were in high school when this movie came out. Yeah. But it's funny you mentioned Over, Overboard because I never saw that when it came out. I didn't. We, we screened it one time when I was working at MGM, and I loved it. I mm. thought it was really good, and I, I would have seen it in my 30s. So I'm like, that movie kind of transcends a little bit better, whereas Captain Ron didn't quite do it for me. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, from a trivia standpoint, I, we mentioned that uh, the screenplay was written by John Dwyer, his first-time writer. He admitted that the film was was kind of based on events that had happened to his own family during a boat delivery back in 1969. His father was an ad executive who had wanted to buy a boat to impress his co-workers. So he got this boat at an auction in Fort Lauderdale and convinced his family to go on a vacation to bring it back to Texas. The, they, ha- they have a boat broker who hired a captain who was named Ron, and he had an eye patch and a wooden peg leg. And they said the family, the family called him Ron Rico because he was drunk all the time, and that was his favorite brand of rum. And I think we saw in the film that's the la- Rico is the last name of Kurt Russell's Captain Ron character. Um, I mentioned before, yeah, there was a working titles for the film. I saw one that was said it was called The Wanderer. At one point, it was called Don't Rock the Boat. I think I've heard that it was called either Martin Harvey Takes a Cruise or Martin Harvey Takes a Vacation. Like I said, Kurt Russell claimed that after the Disney saw the dailies, they changed it to Captain Ron. Um, the last piece of trivia, I saw this on IMDb, but I definitely did not notice it. <laughs> said that both of the, the two different cars that Kurt Russell drives in the film are both missing a headlight on the same side as his missing eye. <laughs> so I'm like, that's, that's interesting. You know, well done on Clever. the director's part. But yeah, but um, I don't know. So I always like to look at like if there's a legacy of these films. I mean, there was no, wasn't a, there wasn't a sequel or any kind of a spinoff or even a reboot. I'm really surprised they haven't tried to remake this. Uh, to be honest with you, Chad, I'm, I'm kind of surprised there wasn't more of a footprint. You know, I don't know if it's because of the, the poor box office showing. You know, it seems to have developed something of a cult status, maybe because of Kurt Russell's character. I don't know. Do you think, I think there's a lot of bit of Jack Sparrow, at least, at least that came out of the Captain Ron character that Johnny Depp infused into the Jack Sparrow. But uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I'm not surprised that there really isn't a legacy because yeah, this movie kind of just came and went, but I, I think now too, anybody that goes back and does watch it, as you pointed out, is going to compare Ron to Jack Sparrow and, yeah. you know, being like, okay, well, I think, Johnny Depp created the Jack Sparrow character probably all on his own. You watch Captain Ron now, and and even though it came before, you're still tainted with the knowledge of Jack Sparrow. So I, yeah, I would be curious to know, you know, especially if the if this does go up on Disney Plus, will it get, you know, younger people watching it, or you know, yeah. can it become a cult hit or a hipster, you know, thing to to watch? Ironically, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I just like I said, I just wish. If it would have meant more Kurt Russell films for Touchstone, that would have been great. But like I said, I guess it wasn't as successful enough. Speaking of Kurt Russell, like we always like to look at there's a personal connection. Uh, Chad, I believe you went with me, right, in 2013 to the Egyptian Theater. Uh, Kurt Russell did a Q&A with a screening of Escape from New York. Were you with that, at that I, with me? I was, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's the one they, they showed like a pilot of it. or They showed a TV show with Noah Wiley, Falling Skies, I think it's called. They showed that first, and they made us sit through that. <laughs> 
and had Noel Wiley do a Q&A. And then they showed Escape from New York and Kurt Russell came out like it was sold out. We were packed into the balcony. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. it was like an Entertainment we Weekly there... Film Festival or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, we can say we saw Kurt Russell, and so I'm, I'm glad I got to see that. But uh, all right, just to wrap up, I did. I want to point out one real one thing real quick, and I want to give a shout out to uh, a friend of ours named Todd Wittek. When we told him we were starting a Touchstone podcast, whatever it was, a year or two ago, he said, "Oh man, I can't wait for you to get to Captain Ron because he really loved this movie." And so when I posted on social media that I was watching it, he was he you know he liked it and he was like really excited for us. And I went back to him and I said, "Okay." Why did you like this movie? Because I did not. I thought it was awful. And so Todd, to his credit, a former who was a USC film student, so he wrote me this huge paragraph of why he liked the movie, and he made some good points. And I, I kind of cribbed a couple, and I just wanted to end. This is from my friend Todd talking about Captain Ron. He said, quote, You can tell Kurt Russell knew exactly what kind of movie he signed up for and just went for it. It's a stupid, silly plot, and most of the characters are bland, but Captain Ron himself is always a delight. I'm willing to bet Kurt Russell ad-libbed a number of lines and choices because they contrast so much with the rest of the cast. To that point, one could argue that Captain Ron is not human, but an entity providing spiritual guidance. And even when he appears to make mistakes, everything he does is deliberate to get his crew to where they need to be to live more fulfilling lives before moving on to the next crew in need. So, you know, I'll give that a little bit of merit. And Todd pointed out something that I was going to point out which is after watching the film, it did make me want to go sailing, you know, <laughs> more so than what about Bob, I should say. Mm-hmm. But it did kind of make me say as, as much of a hell as they went through, it did look like pretty interesting to live that sort of island lifestyle. Well, to continue with my bad jokes for this episode, did you just sit at home and put on some Christopher Cross or is it sticks? Which one is sailing? I think that's just sticks. Well, Christopher Cross is sailing. Sticks is come sail away. Come sail away. That's it. Yeah. So just put on some yacht rock, basically. There you go. What difference does it make? I'm sick of being the thimble. Well, I'm the top hat, so you can't be that. Be the battleship. Uh, I'm the battleship. What's this? Monopoly. No, this. 245s and a Mac-10. It's this total macho trip, Dad. Just ignore it. Where'd they come from? Captain Ron traded the grills for him. Yeah, I thought we ought to have him, boss, because, you know, we're getting into pirate waters here pretty quick. What pirates? Pirates of the Caribbean. Been to Disney World one too many times, have we, Captain Ron? It's true, Dad. They come up on you on high-speed boats. You know, I don't believe I've ever been to Disney World. Oh, really? I've been to Dollywood. You guys are making me lose count. All right, all right, all right. We are not having guns on this boat. Dad, you have to be able to fight off the pirates. Yeah, if we don't, you know, they could steal the boat. There are no Pirates of the Caribbean. All right, now we're going to take a look at some other films that were released in the fall and winter of 1992 that I felt kind of tied back in to Captain Ron. The first one was released by Disney, and it's called Aladdin. From Walt Disney Pictures, Aladdin's lamp was the most powerful force on Earth. So what will it be, Master? But an evil sorcerer is determined to steal it. The lamp is mine. Not so fast, Jafar! Now, only the courage of Aladdin and the magic of the genie Hang on to your turban, kid! Stand in his way. Get the lamp! Come on, Aladdin! It's Disney's all-new adventure classic, Aladdin, rated G. (laughs) Starts Wednesday, November 25th. Yes, animated classic. This was directed by Ron Clements and John Musker. They had just come off of doing The Little Mermaid. They'd also done The Great Mouse Detective before that. Chad, I think I mentioned to you, I saw Great Mouse Detective recently. That is one of my favorite <laughs> Disney movies. It's so good. Uh, the film was, they also co-wrote the screenplay with Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio. Those names might look familiar to you because they're going to go on to write a lot of Disney movies. Especially they do uh, a lot of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies yeah. as well. The only prior writing credit they had was the 1989 film Little Monsters, which I never saw that one. Chad, I, I got a feeling you probably did, right? I, Savage. I have not seen it. I'm familiar with it, but no, never watched it. But yeah, I was going to say Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio. I think they are the Michael Caine of writers for the 90s and 2000s because I think their name is on like pretty much half of every film made by a major studio. Yeah. And especially a lot of Disney ones. Mm. We're going to get into those if we, if we continue talking about the Disney films when we talk about Touchstone into the, in the, in the, in the 2000s, I should say. But yeah, like I said, Aladdin, it's, it's, it's based on a, a folk tale from 1001 Nights, features songs from Alan Menken, show-stopping voice work from Robin Williams as the genie. You know, he'd done two Touchstone films before this, Good Morning Vietnam and Dead Poet Society. Chad, I was also going to ask you, 
Uh, did you recognize the voice of the Sultan in Aladdin? So, full confession, because I had just watched Aladdin previously when Disney Plus uh, launched, I did not go back and rewatch it for this podcast. So, I will have okay. to say, no, I did not recognize the voice of the Sultan. The voice of the Sultan is Douglas Seal. Douglas Seal was in two Touchstone films. He played the butler in Mr. Destiny, and he played Santa Claus in Ernest Saves Christmas. So now that you're going to see me watch Aladdin, you have to look for look for the Santa voice. Um, I, I will say, you know, I never saw this film when it came out. I, I only saw this film hmm. uh, maybe 10 years later. I was one of my first jobs in Los Angeles. I was I had to watch DVDs and soundproof rooms and do quality control on them. And and one day I had to do Aladdin and I was like, Aladdin. And my coworkers were like, no, no, no. Trust me. Go. You're going to love it. And yeah, this movie, it's I loved it then. I hadn't watched it in a while until I watched it last week before we recorded. It's so good. You know, I, I saw it on Broadway a couple of years ago as well. It's just a wonderful, wonderful movie. Did you see it back in the day or did you saw it more recently? I am pretty sure that I saw this in the theater. Um, if memory, okay. if memory okay. serves right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater and I played the Sega Genesis game. And you know, I, for me, it's all uh -huh. about, I know everyone was all, you know, all about Robin Williams, but no, it's it's Scott Weingard, if I'm pronouncing his name right. Steve from okay. Full House is the voice of Aladdin. So, Oh, I, okay. I know you're a big Full House fan. Yeah, I'd heard that, that supposedly that Sega Genesis game is supposed to be one of the better ones. I never yeah. played it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I always like to look at there's a thematic connection back to the Touchstone film. And as I mentioned, I'm calling this one the Diamonds in the Rough, with line taken, of course, from the movie Aladdin. And, you know, this idea of a protagonist with a shady past. And so, you know... I feel like we're clearly cheering for Aladdin, you know, because he may be a thief, a street rat, but he does have good intentions, kind of like Captain Ron, right? Like we're still, you know, Captain Ron's got a shady past, but we still want him to help the family and we know his intentions are good. So a bit of a stretch, but Aladdin and Captain Ron are kind of similar, no? No, I, I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll keep we'll keep stretching it into the other <laughs> Disney films, but... Uh, the next film we're going to talk about was released by Hollywood Pictures in December of 1992. Uh, stars Eddie Murphy, and it's called The Distinguished Gentleman. From Hollywood Pictures, Thomas Jefferson Johnson has discovered the ultimate con. I am running for Congress. Why you no vote Jeff Johnson? He the name you no go don't vote for Jeff. I don't know why you got to come right to here and tell you this. Are you crazy? Now he's doing to Congress Ow! what Congress has been doing to you. Eddie Murphy. I got a sprinkler too now. Back home. All right. The Distinguished Gentleman. Yeah, I'm the man. Rated R. Starts Friday, December 4th at a theater near you. This was directed by one of my favorite filmmakers, Jonathan Lynn. He had done movies like Clue, Nuns on the Run, and My Cousin Vinny. Uh, from a touchstone perspective, he had appeared as the vicar in Three Men and a Little Lady. Uh, the screenplay was written by a man named Marty Kaplan, who we've talked about previously because he was a touchstone executive and he wrote the screenplay for the touchstone film Noises Off. As I record this now, we're hoping to, to procure an interview with Marty Kaplan. I have reached out and emailed him back and forth. And he says he's got great lots of stories to talk about from his time at Touchstone. And he gave me a list of all the movies that he was in, he had worked on. So, yeah. And I want to definitely wanted to bring up Distinguished Gentleman because that's one of the last movies that he did for them. As I mentioned, it's Eddie Murphy. I believe this was his very first film that he'd done that was not from Paramount Pictures. And uh, he plays a con man who schemes his way into a seat in Congress. Chad, I'm pretty sure I saw this. I don't know if I saw it in the theater, but I probably saw it when it first hit video. I, I love this movie. I think it's, mm. it's a very fun comedy, lots of clever jokes, great location photography in Washington, D.C., and just a terrific performance from Eddie Murphy. Had you seen it before? We've done it before last week. Yeah, I'm pretty sure because uh, fall of 92, I would have been my freshman year of college. And I'm pretty sure I want to say this played before a a special sneak preview test screening of the Gina Davis uh Dustin Hoffman movie Hero okay. and and so yeah and if it if it wasn't I did see it in theater in a theater on the campus of uh University of Arizona but I had not seen it probably in 20 years since then so yeah, and I, I watched it recently. I think, I don't know if I brought it up on, on this podcast or not, but once we launched Out of Touchstone, I became friends with a man named Todd Liebenau, who has a podcast called The Forgotten Filmcast. He also does another Disney podcast called Walt Sent Me. 
And he had me on his show and he said, pick a movie, but not a touchstone movie, pick a Hollywood picture. And I chose Distinguished Gentleman. We talked about it at length. And it, like I said, it just reminded me how much I really, really enjoyed it. It's, you know, great cast, lots of great character actors like Joe Don Baker and Charles S. Dutton, James Garner. It's got a small part in it. I, I did want to call out Lane Smith, who I, I really love him, missed him. Great character actor. He had played Coach Riley in The Mighty Ducks. So a couple of Disney mm. films in 1992 for him. Uh, thematically, we go back to the diamond in the rough. Like, again, we're cheering for Eddie Murphy, even though he's a con man, because he has good intentions, just like Captain Ron. Right? But I also wonder, like, is Eddie Murphy assisting those around him to make them better people? You know, because Captain Ron kind of finds his purpose at the end of the film when he has to when he basically makes the family into really good uh, ship crew members. And so I feel like Eddie Murphy kind of gets the best out of the people around him in Congress as well. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I I think. Like you said, Eddie Murphy, even though he is a con man, I mean, I think it, I don't know why he has to be a con man to fit into Congress, but I think it works. But once he gets in there, then, you know, he becomes actually the the least conny of the con men, if you will. And like I said, after I, I think I texted you or when we were talking after I watched this where you don't even need to remake this film. Just put it back in theaters because everything it plays the same in two in 2021 as it did in 1992. So. Oh yeah. Especially as that, that scene when they go hunting with the assault rifles, especially <laughs> with the, with the NRA people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's very pointed. And like I said, hopefully, you know, Marty Kaplan, the writer had worked in the government. So I'm, I'm hoping we can get him on to kind of talk a little bit more about that. But uh, yeah, if you're listening, go, go see the distinguished gentleman. If you can find it, that's the tricky part trying to find it. Uh, the last film we talk about came out at Christmas of 1992. It was released by Disney, and it's called The Muppet Christmas Carol. Get ready. The Muppets are coming to theaters in the family movie event of the year. Be serious. All your friends will be dropping in. There's Kermit the Frog. Merry Christmas, everyone. Miss Piggy. Whatever. Gonzo and Rizzo. Hey, 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 like the lamp, not the rat. Everyone's got the holiday spirit. It's creepy and kind of woo Walt Disney Pictures presents from Jim Henson Productions, The Muppet Christmas Carol, rated G. Starts Friday, December 11th at a theater near you. This was the directorial debut of Brian Henson, who was the son of the great Jim Henson. He had also worked as a puppeteer with his father. Uh, the film was written by Jerry Jewell, who had had a long association with Henson and the Muppets. He was the head writer on The Muppet Show in the 70s. He'd also written the, the Muppet movie and The Great Muppet Caper. Um, Michael Caine, who returns to Touchstone, he had done Mr. Destiny and Noises Off. He plays Ebenezer Scrooge. It's an, an adaptation of the classic Charles Dickens novel. Uh, I think I've, I don't know if I've told you about this before, but I tried to watch this movie a couple of years ago around Christmas, and I just was bored, and I, I fell asleep or I turned it off or what. So I was kind of dreading. I'm like, do I really want to watch it? And I watched it last night, and I loved it. I, re I really thought it was really good. It's it's funny because it's it's kind of a it's a bit of a dark story. The Christmas Carol story is kind of dark, heavy dramatic elements. So I thought it was odd to see it get the you know the Muppets comedic treatment, but I wound up really really enjoying it when it was all said and done. Especially it got some great songs by Paul Williams as well. But I think this is is this one of the ones that you really liked? I can't remember if you were one of the people that admonished me for turning it off a couple of years ago when I tried watching it. Uh, I don't remember admonishing you. I you know I I had seen this previous and I, I watched it as well yesterday. Uh, before we record this, and I, I like it, and I think Michael Caine does a good job because I'd read that you know he had told Brian Henson, "Look, I'm not going to act like there are Muppets around me. I'm going to treat them just like you know human co-actors." And and Brian's like, "Great, that's you know that's how the Muppets work in the Muppet universe." But I, you know, because it's a Christmas Carol, you. Pretty much, you know what the story is going to be, you know, but it's not like Captain Ron using all the tropes. It's just a story that we have seen over and over enough times yeah. to be like, oh, okay. And I, you know, my biggest takeaway, uh, other than the fact that the songs are really good as well, is there were too many non-Muppet regulars as, okay. you know, there were like more human puppets or Muppets instead of your cast of characters. You know, I was like, where's Ralph? Where's, you know, Fozzie only shows up for a couple of scenes. It's 53 minutes in, into the movie before Miss Piggy makes her uh, appearance. And yeah, I, mm -hmm. I, I felt that that was my big takeaway is it, you know, it's great with Rizzo and, and Gonzo narrating the story, but it, it, it just lacked a little bit of the Muppet charm for me. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I could also see that, like, I'm not, I mean, I enjoyed the Muppets. I'm not, like, a huge Muppet fan. Mm -hmm. 
uh, growing up and stuff. But I could see this being one that I would watch again as Christmas mm-hmm. rolls around, you know, especially because I think like if there's one thing I took out of it and I'm paraphrasing here, but there's a line in the movie that really stuck with me, especially given everything that we've gone through over the past year with the pandemic and where we're going in 2021. Um, one of the characters says every day is a gift. I don't know. And it's just, it's just simple. It's simple. And I, I just wish more people would think about that. That's I really why it's called the present. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, there you go. Uh, once again, thematically, we got the diamond in the rough, the protagonist with the shady past, uh, you know, but at the same time, I feel like we're, we're clearly, we're cheering for his redemption, you know, because we want to believe that everybody has those Captain Ron-esque good intentions, you know, and I was going to ask you, if you look at Captain Ron, Aladdin, uh, Congressman Jeff- Thomas Jefferson mm-hmm. Johnson and Ebenezer Scrooge. I thought of those four, I think Scrooge has the best arc based on where he starts. And it's much more uplifting to see the, the transformation of that character become, like I said, actually, you're talking about diamonds in the rough, the one that's actually the most polished diamond of them all when it's all said and done. Yeah. And I believe there are scenes where they're passing out coal for Christmas. So it, it fits right in there. Too perfect. <sighs> Too perfect. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to I'm not going to let you end on a joke chat. Come on. Okay. Of, the, of those four, who has the be- who has the best redemption arc and who, which one did yeah. you like the most? No, I think Scrooge has the best redemption because I think he has the the furthest to to go in redemption. You know, Aladdin, he's just he's this orphan kid on the streets. It's not that he's a bad person. He just by his uh lot in life is is where he is. Uh Eddie Murphy in um in Distinguished Gentleman, he, yeah, he's you know, he's a little crooked at the beginning, but once he gets in there, and again, I think once he realizes how crooked everyone else is, I, I think it, you know, it's more of a uh, co- uh, commentary on our own society and how we allow politicians to be as as crooked as they are. So he realizes, hey, you know, what I've been doing really isn't that that bad. I'm, you know, I'm not hurting anyone in my schemes. And then Captain Ron is just—he's a fun-loving captain you know he's just out there surfing the seas and so yeah definitely i think ebenezer scrooge has from being the cold-hearted ruthless scrooge bah humbug at the beginning to appreciating what life has to offer he definitely has that the the biggest arc he casts the biggest ring yeah and i well yeah and i feel like the funny part is now that i think about it i think of those four i think captain ron is probably the least selfish Mm -hmm. you know because aladdin like he just wants the girl mm-hmm. at one point he he promises the genie he's going to get grant him his freedom and when he gets the chance he doesn't do it you yeah. know and then the genie gets all upset with him obviously uh eddie murphy's character he just wants to get to congress for the power right i mean he mm-hmm. kind of helps his his other band of con men but he's kind of selfish obviously everything's just scrooge is about as selfish as you can get when the movie starts whereas yeah. at least with captain ron even from the very beginning other than him just leeching on uh martin short's wife He's st- he still kind of wants the best out of them from the beginning. So, yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about that. So, all right. Well, to wrap things up, we'll take a look at the box office. I mean, well, one of these four is more dominant than the other three combined. But uh, we'll start with the Touchstone film, Captain Ron. It was released on September 18th. It finished second on its opening weekend with $4.9 million. The first place film was Sneakers. Uh, the other films that opened against it finished right behind it in third, fourth, and fifth place. That was Singles, the Cameron Crowe film, Husbands and Wives, the Woody Allen film, and School Ties with Brendan Fraser. Uh, Another film that opened that weekend was the Hollywood picture Serafina. We talked about earlier that the limited release. Uh, The only Disney films that were on the charts at the same time with Captain Ron's opening weekend was Sister Act. Well, if it came out in the summer of 1992, Sister Act was on the charts. It was in 13th place and its 17th week on the charts. And then the film we talked about on last episode, Crossing the Bridge, which was toiling in 18th place in its second week, final week, I should say, second and final week on the box office charts. Um, and the, in its second week, Captain Ron is pushing number three because The Last of the Mohicans is released and tops the box office chart. And then in the following week, we get more comedies kind of aimed at adults that push Captain Ron down even further. Those comedies include The Mighty Ducks, well, not really aimed at adults, but Mr. Baseball and Hero, like Chad mentioned. Uh, so we get more comedies to compete with Captain Ron. Uh, we also get some films that were for grownups, movies like the Billy Crystal film, Mr. Saturday Night. We also get the Steven Seagal action thriller Under Siege, which, again, that was kind of a juggernaut, though. Comes out on Columbus Day weekend and pushes Captain Ron out of the top 10. Uh, it drops off the box office charts after only five weeks, 
and it only grosses $22.5 million in its entire theatrical run, and the budget was $24 million. So Captain Ron, I mean, not a bomb, but didn't even make back its budget, let alone marketing costs, right? Uh, I was going to ask you, which is I was kind of surprised. You know, it opened at number two, and it was off the charts a month later. You know, I don't, I don't get that. Like, how... It seemed like it was a good spot. You know, the only other comedies that it had to compete with at the time when it was released, you know, Honeymoon in Vegas had been out for a month. Death Becomes Her had been out for two months. Sister Act had been out all summer. And so mm-hmm. it goes back to that original thought we I talked about earlier was, was the film, you know, marketed towards adults, but yet it seemed more to kids. And so it didn't get a good, strong word of mouth. Yeah, maybe. And, you know, you're looking at being released in September schools back in, you've got, you know, high school football starting up maybe although you know other movies are doing well so i don't really know what my uh critique is but i'm just trying to pull any straw that i can think of that maybe would hinder captain ron but yeah i just think this movie you know i'm trying to remember the advertising um, from when it came out and i just yeah i don't think it really registered with an audience and, well, you know what did register with audiences was Aladdin. Uh, it was a, released on November 13th. It was a limited release, only two screens, and it made an astounding $98,000 per screen. Just by comparison, the number one film that week was Bram Stoker's Dracula, and it had a per screen average of only 12000 uh, It goes wide on November 27th, which is Thanksgiving weekend, and it finishes second with $19.3 million behind Home Alone 2. The other films that opened against it what at least opened that weekend was The Bodyguard, which was which finished in third place. Uh, the Disney film The Mighty Ducks was also on the charts. It was the 10th place in its ninth week of release. Uh, Aladdin does manage to stay in the top three with Home Alone 2 and Bodyguard. And then A Few Good Men is released mid-December. And those four films basically formed the top four for about a month solid. Home Alone 2, The Bodyguard, Aladdin, and A Few Good Men. Uh, it goes even wider on Christmas weekend. It goes from 1,500 screens to 2,500 screens. And it spends the next month alternating between first and second place with A Few Good Men. It's still in first place at the end of January, and it stays in the top five for all of February. You know, movies like Groundhog Day and Falling Down with Michael Douglas, they hold the top spots in March, and then eventually Aladdin falls out of the top ten. It drops off the box office charts in mid-April. Remember, the film film came out in mid-November. It's still on the box Mm -hmm. office charts mid-April after 22 weeks. And it grosses $217.3 million in its entire theatrical run. The budget was only $28 million. Uh, That $217.3 million was good enough for the film to finish number one on the 1992 year-end box office chart. It was the highest grossing animated film at the time and the first animated film to gross to break two hundred million dollars, I should say. Uh, like I said, it's it's a typical Disney juggernaut lifted up by, you know, Robert Williams's magical performance. You know, I think like January is, is filled with like Oscar films and those movies that the studios just kind of dump into theaters. So I think it was just a perfect alternative. And you know, as I mentioned before, you know, I wish I would have seen it then. I only I could think of Chad is this would have been my senior year in high school. Now, granted, I was playing basketball. I wasn't going to the movies as much until you know, spring and summer. But I'm, maybe was it, I just was that too cool? Like I, I, could, I didn't high school kid. I want to go see this animated Aladdin movie, which is isn't that the whole point of Touchstone Pictures? Is that the Disney movies were supposed to make these animated movies that were catered towards kids or at least attract the kids? But it sounds like everyone was seeing Aladdin except me. Except you, yeah. And, you know, I had the same reaction to The Little Mermaid when it came out in '89, so I can I can understand okay. your your feeling. Um, yeah, and you know, at the time I had a girlfriend, so Aladdin was a perfect date movie. So that's probably why I ended up seeing it. Yeah, God, I wish I would have seen it. But uh, <laughs> all right, well then let's look at The Distinguished Gentleman that was released on December fourth. Its opening weekend, it finished fourth place with $10.6 million. No other films opened against it, yeah. The number one film was Home Alone 2. Again, it just that was that was doing quite well that year. Um, the only other Disney film on the charts were Aladdin, which was in its fourth week at that point. It was third place. The Mighty Ducks was 12th place in its 10th week. Um, A Few Good Men comes out the week after The Distinguished Gentleman opened, and it tops the charts, and it pushes Eddie Murphy's comedy down to fifth place. The film stays in the top 10 all the way through New Year's. It's the only real comedy for adults at that point. The only one other ones I could see were, were Leap of Faith and Toys, you know, and eventually gets bumped off the charts when some of those Oscar movies start to go wide in January. And those would have been Scent of a Woman and also the Robert Downey Jr. 
performance as Charlie Chaplin and Chaplin. Um, you know, it runs its course all the, you know, as all the other mediocre January films flood the market and it just drops off the box office chart after, you know, a solid six weeks. It grosses $46.7 million in its entire theatrical run, which seems like kind of a success. But then you look at the budget was $50 million. And I'm thinking, unless that's the location photography or the, the cost to get Eddie Murphy, that seems like a lot for a, like a small comedy. But again, it did have good production values. Um, you know, it seemed like a good bet to bring Eddie Murphy over from Paramount, you know, and the film was released at a good time to succeed. And I was going to ask you, I thought it was interesting that he went head to head with two other male comedy stars who had worked for Touchstone, you know, Steve Martin, who had done like Leap of Faith and Robin Williams and Toys. And yet the Distinguished Gentleman made pretty much twice as much at the box office as those two films. I mean, I don't know. I saw Toys in the theater. It was pretty forgettable. I don't remember much about it. And I have not seen Leap of Faith. So I don't know. By chance, have you seen either of those two films? Uh, I saw Leap of Faith in the theater. So I was the one person that bought a ticket for that one. Uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I think it's a good movie. I, you know, I had a lot of questions after it was over with. And then, yeah, I saw Toys on video and that one... Ooh, I, I would love to have been in that pitch meeting and, you know, maybe you're just going, it's Robin Williams and, 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 and it's Robin Williams and, and yeah. you know, and after Aladdin, you could probably say that, but uh, yeah, toys is just a weird, weird film. Yeah. I just remember when I was working at Fox, cause they released toys and but I'm a, part of my job was I used to have to pull clips. If, if a award show or a movie wanted to have a clip of one of our movies, they would, we would send them a screener and they would send back time codes and say, can you send us this, this clip? And so the Kennedy Center Honors asked us for a clip from Toys. And I was like, OK, I don't know why. And I was also thinking, like, uh, Robin Williams already would have gotten his Kennedy Center Honor. And I think Barry Levinson might have already gotten one. Who's getting a Kennedy Center Honor that was in Toys? And Chad, do you remember? It was for LL Cool J. <laughs> LL Cool J got a Kennedy Center Honor. And in the in the show, which I made sure to watch. They did include a clip from the movie, his role in the movie Toys. Well, yeah. Yeah, I think that would have been his maybe first or second high-profile um, role. So, yeah, maybe, yeah. I remember him in the, the, was he in The Hard Way with Michael J. Fox? I remember that one. But uh, yeah. he, did a, he did a handful of movies. And, and Crush Groove. Let's got through that. Oh, his, where he plays LL Cool J. So it's not it's like not a real stretch yet. Perfect casting. Um, all right, the last movie we'll look at is Muppet Christmas Carol. As I mentioned, it was released on December 11th, right two weeks before Christmas. It finished sixth in its opening weekend with $5 million. It opened against, unfortunately, it opened against A Few Good Men, which topped the box office. Uh, both Aladdin and the, and the Distinguished Gentleman were in theaters at the time. They, Aladdin was fourth and Distinguished Gentleman was fifth. So, hey, you got three Disney movies in the top six. That's not bad. And its second week, it drops from sixth to seventh, and then it falls to 11th on Christmas Day weekend. Uh, it drops off the box office charts after one month. It only grosses $27.3 million on a budget of $12 million, so almost break-even, right? Two and a half times the, the budget, we always say. Uh, I, I'm surprised it didn't perform better. You know, it seemed like there were no real mm -hmm. Christmas movies in the theaters other than maybe Home Alone 2. And the only other movie that was aimed at a younger audience would have been Aladdin. So I think people would have seen both those movies by then. And I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, were kids not going to the movies during the 1992 Christmas season? Or did they just only want to see Home Alone in the Latin, you know? And maybe the, maybe it's, like you said, it's it's the Muppets, but it's also a Christmas carol. So, yeah, I don't I don't, I don't get it. What, what do you think, Jack? Well, and as you have in your notes here, I see, you know, first Muppet movie since 1984. I think we're dealing with a generation who weren't familiar with the Muppets. I mean, I know Muppet Babies yeah. cartoon would still probably have been on or had, you know, recently ended, but as far as the Muppet show and the Muppet movies and, you know, without the access to the movies like we have now with all the streaming platforms, I don't know how, you know, how invested in the Muppets the younger generation would have been at this time. So maybe that had a, had yeah. a factor as well, but I, and I think it's the Christmas Carol aspect too. Like, you know, when, you know, a few years later, I think uh, Muppet Treasure Island comes out, which again, I mean, it's Treasure Island, which if you do as an adventure movie might attract an audience, but Muppet Treasure Island, you know, I, I just think maybe it's a weird mm. hybrid film that uh, people aren't, don't know what to expect. Whereas with the original Muppet movie, Great Muppet Caper and Muppet Stick Manhattan, all being original films, 
you get to play off of the Muppet, uh, the Muppet characters better. Maybe. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like you said, it's it was the first Muppet movie in, in eight years, and all the other ones came out within three or four years of each other, so it was still fresh in their mind. Like I said, Muppet, Muppet Babies was the only thing that had aired in the meantime, and it was the first Muppet project after Jim Henson mm. had passed away, too. So, yeah. But all right, well, we like, always like to wrap up looking at some of the awards consideration from the, the four films that we talked about today. One of them, again, one of them rakes up all the awards. <laughs> Uh, and, the, and it's not Captain Ron, but Captain Ron does manage to get uh, nominations at the best or the, the Young Artist Awards, I should say. Uh, Med, both Meadows Sisto and Benjamin Salisbury get nominated for Best Young Actor and Actress at the Young Artist Awards. Benjamin Salisbury loses to Elijah Wood in Radio Flyer, and Meadows Sisto loses to Allison Porter in Curly Sue, the title character, I believe. Yeah. Um, Muppet Christmas Carol only gets one award nomination, and it's a Grammy Award for Best Musical Album for Children. It loses to Aladdin, and I think Aladdin was beating a lot of other people that year. So I'm going to try to rack through some of the awards because there's plenty of them. I'll just look at some of the more high-profile awards for Aladdin. It gets five Oscar nominations. It's nominated for Best Sound, which it loses to The Last of the Mohicans, and Best Sound Effects Editing, which it loses to Bram Stoker's Dracula. It wins Best Score for Alan Minkin and Best Original Song for A Whole New World, in which it also beats out A Friend Like Me. So there's the five nominations. Uh, Similarly, it gets five Golden Globe nominations, but three of the five nominations are for the Best Original Song category. A Whole New World wins, defeating Friend Like Me and Prince Ali. You know what's funny? i got to be honest with you, Chad. Of those three... I think I like Prince Ali the most. That's the one that I kind of hum and sing along to the most. Friend Like Me is a great performance from the film. But, yeah, Prince Ali. I I looked forward to Prince Ali when I watched the live-action Aladdin as well. So um, it wins the Best Original Score for the Golden Globe. It also gets nominated for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy, where it loses to the hilarious Robert Altman film, The Player. I don't don't get it. We talked about it because I think Sister Act got nominated as well. I how did Aladdin not win Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy? Because it's clearly more musical and more comedic than the player. Have you seen um, the player? I have. I thought years I ago. I was in stitches. Yeah, yeah. I don't get it. Uh, Robin Williams also gets a special award at the Golden Globes for his vocal work. So yeah, uh, you mentioned Grammy nominations. It gets six Grammy nominations and it wins four awards. Alan Minken wins Best Instrumental Composition for a Motion Picture. And A Whole New World wins Best Song Written for a Motion Picture, Beats a Friend Like Me. Uh, and and then Whole New World also wins the Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals. And it wins Song of the Year. Whole New World from Aladdin wins Song of the Year at the Grammys. I didn't realize that. Uh, Aladdin wins Best Movie at the Nickelodeon's Kids' Choice Awards. And it, two of the movies that it beat out, the other two movies in that category, the children's film My Girl and the beloved children's classic Boys in the Hood. Boys well, in the. If you're listening, Nickelodeon's Kids Choice Awards nominated Boys in the Hood for Best Movie. Well, it's got the word "boys" in the title, so it's kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are kids, and the, the, there's a flashback scene in the beginning. No, you're wrong. I love Boys in the Hood. It's a great movie, and I, I watched it a few years ago. It does hold up pretty well. But, man, I just don't get the Nickelodeon's Kids' Choice Award sometimes. I mean, I'm glad that they recognize Aladdin, but, uh, yeah, I don't know uh, I don't know which part appeals to kids, The uh, all the gang violence in that movie. But, uh, yeah. Uh, and finally, uh, Aladdin does get three MTV Award nominations. Robin Williams bi- wins Best Comedic Performance, who beats out Whoopi Goldberg from Sister Act, matter of fact. Uh, but it loses Best Movie to A Few Good Men. A Few Good Men won the Best Picture at the MTV Movie Awards. It doesn't seem like an MTV kind of a movie. Uh, and then Whole New World loses in the best movie song category to I Will Always Love You. Now, I'm giving credit for that. I Will Always Love You was was everywhere that year. But I do want to give a shout out because two of the other songs that were nominated that year for the best movie song was uh, Boys to Men's End of the Road. I did not realize that was in the movie Boomerang. Uh, I mentioned it because End of the Road was my senior class theme song, and I heard that song so many times. Uh, and then one of the other songs that got nominated was Wood by Alice in Chains from uh, the movie Singles. So that was kind of awesome. But uh, all right. Uh, let's just look at the, uh, the films we mentioned. A quick little recap. Did they fit the, the Disney idea of the singles and doubles? Uh, Chad, I got to say yes and no. Right. Um, Captain Ron was like 
a comedy about adults. It's kind of in the vein of What About Bob? It's got a popular star and a low budget, but just, I guess, just not a, a strong enough script, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it seemed like this was right up their alley for what Katzenberg was trying to do. Yeah, and especially based on the success of What About Bob? You, you know, I'm, I would assume that we're not the only ones making the comparison. And, you know, they probably had their little graphs and pie charts and, and static, you know, stat sheets out and said, oh, you know, we do this, we make this, we spend this much money, we'll make this much, and then we'll all have our own boats that we can take down to the keys. Yeah. And then if you look at the Distinguished Gentleman, you know, I mean, that, might, that may have been a risk because it was a star vehicle. It kind of had mm -hmm. a large budget. But at least it, it more than likely established a, a working relationship with Eddie Murphy because he's going to come back do a couple touchdown movies. He's going to do a voice in a, in a popular animated film. So mm -hmm. I can give him credit for that. And then, you know, the Disney films, they're just they're on animals. Right. You know, Aladdin's going to be that, that animated classic. And then we get the Muppets on the big screen. And I think that was right after Disney had bought the Muppets. Right. So they're mm -hmm. probably trying to cash in on their investments. So I think all in all, it sounds like these four films were good, good entries into Disney's canon. I agree with you. I mean, yeah, it, we weren't too kind to Captain Ron, but again, it if you're not expecting high art or a Nickelodeon Kids Choice winning film, <laughs> Captain Ron is a fine 90-minute escape. All right. Well, if anybody listening at home wants to watch these films, I can tell you that Captain Ron unfortunately isn't streaming anywhere. For now, well, maybe it'll turn up, like you said, Chad, if I put it on Disney Plus. But uh, it is available to rent or buy digitally. I was able to get the DVD from the public library so you and I could watch it. Uh, of course, both Aladdin and Muppet Christmas Carol is streaming on Disney Plus. And The Distinguished Gentleman isn't, isn't streaming anywhere. Like, you can't even rent or buy it. Uh, it's only available on DVD. I happen to have the DVD. I bought it years ago because I remember really liking it. And if anybody does want to watch it, there is an illegal stream of it on YouTube. So... Hurry up and watch it before it gets taken down. I don't know why I'm doing a voice like Gonzo, but I got to tie it all back in together. Oh, man, now I wish uh, I could do a Rizzo voice and we could do a little <laughs> bit. But, ah. So what's on tap for our next episode? Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up 1992 with a year in review. It's, it's a short year, only six touchstone films, but there were uh, several other Disney and Hollywood pictures, which will kind of work into the discussion as well. This is out of touchstone. My name is Mike DeKalb. You can find me on Twitter at Mike DeKalb. I also run the Out of Touchstone Twitter account. It's at Out of Touchstone. If you want to shoot me an email, it's out of touchstone at gmail.com. Uh, Chad is also on Twitter as well. You can find him at Chad Smart. He's also the proprietor of the Positive Cynicism Podcasting Network, the hashtag PCPN. Chad, I will say you are a diamond in the rough as well. Do you have any final thoughts about these four movies and these four rough characters? Uh, I'm I just... You know, amazed that we've made it to the end of 1992. Uh, it seems like only yesterday we were, well, still in 1992 because we've been here for like the last two months. But I, I'm looking forward to 1993. And um, yeah, that's, I, I think in the meantime, I'm going to go back and actually restart the hashtag PCPN because it's now kind of just a, a one show pony. So I, I, I got work to do. Change so, my, yeah. 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 I'll, have to, I'll have to change my outro from <laughs> now on. But uh, anyway, yeah, I'm looking forward to 1993 as well. It was my it's the year I graduated high school. So I had a lot of fond memories of some of those movies. But uh, thanks for listening. This is Out of Touchstone, and we are out of time. Don't out of touch. I'm out of touch. Out of Touchstone is a Honey Nerds production. For more information, visit outoftouchstone.com. Like and subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening. So, you're cool, I'm cool, we're cool, thank you, good night.